Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Story Blender. I'm Stephen James, and this is where great storytellers share the secrets to great storytelling. Now, if you've listened to the show before, you know that I love to laugh. I love comedy. I love going out to live shows anytime that I can. And I'm super excited about my guest today because comedian Bob Smiley has been doing stand-up for over 20 years all over the United States and Arkansas, as he likes to say. He's written three books under the series he created called The Adventures of Average Boy. The books, as well as the Average Boy podcast, um, are aimed at making kids laugh while encouraging them to be all the best that God created them to be. Bob is also very good at mowing and has a massive hotel shampoo collection. And I know that's from being on the road so much. And Bob, thanks so much for joining me today. Man, it is an honor to be on here. Uh, I guess I should start by thanking Stephen King for not returning your phone calls. So, there's an, <laughs> you know, there's an open slot where, you know, somebody unknown can jump in and uh, be a part of this. No, that's no, that's that's great. And um, my producer, when she was in touch with you, she was looking up some of the, some of your stuff online and she said, I was supposed to ask you about your Converse shoe collection. Oh yeah, she actually mentioned that in an email, and uh, because in my promo photo, I'm I'm wearing Converse. It's it's just always it it sounds like I'm you know loyal with the brand. I'm more loyal with the price uh, because <laughs> uh, there's a lot of uh, we used to call them Chucks, uh, the Converse yeah. sneakers. Uh, they end up in a lot of Goodwills, and so that fits our price budget as a uh, as a working entertainer. Uh, so yeah, they're always good. You can always pop in a Goodwill and grab a pair of shoes and. Converse are comfortable. Hey, are, are we trying to get a sponsorship here? Because I, I definitely could use a new pair. Ah, yes, definitely. If anyone is listening from Converse, we want, let's see, a size 12 for me and a size 11. Size 11. All right, yeah. perfect. We'll see what happens. You know, <laughs> I still actually have a pair of Chucks upstairs and um, I don't want to date myself too much, but I actually got those in high school and that's just a little frightening. So yeah, that's what, and they, they've improved. They're so much more cushiony because it used to be, you know, you, you had a choice of, uh, it felt like you were wearing uh, pizza boxes on your on your shoes, <laughs> uh, on your feet for a while. And, uh, but yeah, they've, they've definitely gotten way more comfortable and they're kind of trendy now. So yeah, I'm just trying to keep them afloat. So if they're listening, you're welcome. And the best way to say thank you uh, is to send me a pair of 11s. <laughs> um, I remember when I was, I don't know, maybe in ninth grade or something. I was trying to be cool. And this is a little silly, but um, all the like upperclassmen who were basketball uh, pro, not pros, but skilled and expert. And the guys that we all looked up to were basically had bigger feet than I did. And so I was like, I want to um, be cool. So I ended up buying shoes that were like a size or two too big. I'd be flopping around, you know, walking around the halls of my high school trying to be cool. So I guess. Yeah, uh, and so <laughs> let me guess, clowns weren't in. So the shoe. I know, right? It was like, really you know, flump, 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 flump. And uh, so eventually I outgrew that. I don't know. It probably took me until I got to college, but. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, look on the positive. You didn't have to bend over to pick something up. You could just flap it up in your hand. There you go. The, flipper the, feet. The shoes. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
So years ago, I actually took this class on uh, improv comedy with a guy named Keith Johnstone, who um, sort of started this thing called theater sports. Um, and uh, and one of the things that he said, I thought was super fascinating. I wanted to get your take on this. He said, the goal with comedy is not to try to be funny, it's to try to be honest. So like whenever they were doing improv, he's like, the biggest question that you ask yourself is not how can I be funny? but how can I respond in an honest way? I thought that was pretty fascinating and kind of different. Like you, a lot of times you think, oh, I ought to try and crack a joke or something. But he said humor is very often rooted in truth. Yeah, there, there's so many different kinds of comedy and uh, improv is based on a process called yes and. Uh-huh. So when you're working with somebody, you you are always moving the, the story forward. So if he shows up and he says he's an alien, you don't say, uh, no, you're not. I went to high school with you. Like you don't stop the story. You say, yes. And, uh, and you say, yes. And how are you, how are you adapting to the earth? You like, you continue the story. So, uh, improv is definitely about being very honest in whatever's mm. being thrown at you. So that, that part holds true in stand up or in the written word. Uh, it does, it only becomes a portion of that mm. is being honest. Uh, I do a joke in my show where I'm talking about being in a really horrible hotel and I say that it left a mint on the pillow. And so I reach for the mint and it scurries under the sheets. Yeah. And th- this is based on a true story. There really was a roach on the pillow. I looked over, it actually looked kind of like a mint and I was like, okay. Oh, no. And then it, it disappeared on the sheets. So the bit goes, I pulled the uh, covers back. It was the biggest cockroach I'd ever seen. I took my shoe off and threw it at him he put it on. <laughs> so, so on, that's not honest. I didn't really throw a right. shoe at a cockroach, but so you, there is a, a lot of absurdity in especially stand-up comedies. You kind of take the, you take the audience on a ride and they kind of, uh, uh, what is it? Uh, suspend belief. That's disbelief. That's yeah. That's what yeah. I say. They always talk about that, you know, and, and, um, I think that, you know, it's exaggeration of course. And, um, yeah. but, but we get it. And we're like, we laugh because we're like, oh, it probably was some sort of cockroach or something like that, you know. And uh, yeah. now you mentioned writing and and stand up. So do you find that different types of humor work for written word versus uh, oral performance? It, it is completely different. It is uh, people. I've got friends that are hilarious on stage. They cannot sit down and write anything out because it is such a different uh, animal. And, uh, you know, the, the thing that I learned, cause I, I grew up reading really funny, uh, authors that, uh, I, first of all, I grew up in a town with 281 people in it. So my dad's joke was our idea of a large industrial company was a 200 pound Avon lady. So <laughs> we, we didn't have anything. We had a little bitty small store and a little school and that was it. And so I honestly think that that helped in creativity because if you're not bombarded by entertainment, you're forced to use your own creativity. You're, you're forced to, uh, your mind has to take over and entertain yourself. And so I think that that breeds a lot of creativity. And so I started reading a lot of uh, books by Dave Barry, uh, who hmm. writes a lot of humor articles and uh, a guy named Patrick F. McManus. Oh yeah. Wrote, yeah. So he wrote these funny hunting stories. And of course I grew up way out in the country and you know, we would uh, hunt all the time. And so the, that really resonated with me. And I noticed that the written word was way funnier than mm. my my dad, who was the funniest guy I've ever known. Uh, I would watch him in a room and he would be funny in the room. And I would notice that it was completely different 
than whenever I'd open a book and, and read it out. So basically writing, writing comedy, uh, it starts with, you have to paint the image in the reader's mind. So you have to, you have to craft your words together so much that they're seeing exactly what you're seeing. And then once you get that right, the journey to, to see what's actually funny about the situation is, is such a quicker path. Hmm. So uh, a lot of that, and, and that kind of goes back to the improv, uh, a lot of comedy and writing is being honest. So you're, you're creating this whole image in these people's minds and you have to be very, very honest with everything in the room that's going on hmm. so that then whenever you put the punchlines or put the what's funny about the situation in there, they're, they're there. They're not sitting you know, on their couch reading a book, they're actually in the room with you and they can see what's funny in that situation. It's interesting you mentioned McManus, uh, the kind of the humor outdoor writer. I actually have a book. I don't know if you ever came across it, but he wrote a book on how to write comedy or humor. And um, I did so, not know that. Yeah, so sort of toward the end, I think, of his career. And um but I'll have to try and search on my shelf to find what the name of it was. But uh, yeah, no, it's pretty fascinating. Um, I've got a couple of these moments in my life where I feel really accomplished. And uh, when the second Average Boy book came out, I went on his website and it it said at the time, I don't know if it still says that, but that uh, he does not respond to emails, hmm. but he does read them. And so I just wrote him and I said, I grew up as a boy reading your stuff and you helped uh, make it where I could, when I became an adult, I could not have a job and still be able to feed my family. And he actually wrote me back. And that was one of those moments where I was like, this is, this is amazing. And he wrote back and he said, I was so glad that I could steer you away from responsibility. And I just thought that was so great, but yeah, I didn't know about his, his book about writing. I'll have to check that out. Yeah. I'll track it down and try to get the, get the name of it if I can find it on myself. But, um, you know, that's, that's really fun. They were sort of like, you know, tall tales, I get almost like personal tall tales where you'd start with um, going canoeing or something like that. And things would just go more and more outlandish. But for some reason, you just kind of like accept it. You're like, oh, OK. And suddenly they're doing this the most remarkable things ever. And um, it's fun, fun stuff. That, that That is the best part about writing is you when you first start, you're you're like, okay, here we go. I'm going to take the reader on an adventure. And if you're good, the, they're going to go along with you for the entire ride. And, and that's whenever writing gets really fun. Do you ever find when you're writing that you surprise yourself? Like as you're maybe even coming up with material as you're talking about it, you're like, I never noticed that before. That's actually pretty funny. I'm going to stick that in there. Yeah, actually, uh, with the first Average Boy book, uh, I... I wrote it so quickly because it's it's all based on stories from my childhood. Mm. And, you know, I did live a, a pretty active life. So I have lots of stories and stuff. And so uh, when I sat down to write it, you know, I'd never written a book before. And I thought, you know, I've read around, uh, I've read about writer's block and, you mm. know, all these these things that that hinder people, you know, being able to actually put something down on a page. I sat down and I wrote that book in a matter a span of about two weeks. Hmm, and wow. it literally, every time I sat down, I was like, oh, I had this story about uh, my goldfish bowl breaking in church. And so huh. I would write that story. And, and so I wrote it all the way out and I got to the last chapter and I put my hands over my keyboard. And it was the first time that I just paused with no idea of what to come out of it. And I was writing up in a room uh, upstairs in my house and it was pouring rain 
And I looked out the window and my three kids were playing in the ditch that had filled up with water. And I just sat and watched that for a second. And then all of a sudden I was like, and I finished the last chapter because I had the story playing out in front of me. Mm. And all I did was just add a little bit of humor to that story. And it was the perfect ending to the book that kind of tied everything in, you know, from the whole uh, storyline of, of what Average Boy was doing. And uh, so, yeah, I think things happen around us all the time. They always say stop and smell the roses. Mm. I think sometimes pe- people aren't going to like this part, but sometimes jump in the flower bed and root around <laughs> and see, see what all is going on. And yeah, I think things happen around us all the time that people don't really realize. And as I'm saying this out loud, I realize I probably uh, shouldn't encourage people to do that because that's how comedians stay uh, in business is we see things differently we see things around us that people don't stop and notice and then we point it out and they're like oh yeah that's true and funny i never thought about it so so if you're listening right now forget what i said you just keep your uh you know gaze straight and i'll, I'll tell you what's funny around you <laughs> <laughs> um i think that uh I, no matter what kind of storyteller you are whether it's humorous or more dramatic or oral storyteller written fiction or whatever it might be I think when you can point out what people haven't noticed, the truths that they haven't noticed yet, uh, maybe poets do that and make us weep, maybe comedians do that and make us laugh. But um, I think that that is a super important part of a lot of uh, stories because, you know, a lot of times you might tell a story and everyone's like bored to tears. They're listening and they're just like, okay, if it's just, you know, important to you, but if it's got something, that moment that pivots, and suddenly they're like, oh, wow, I never thought of that before. Draws them in. Yeah. And uh, along with being honest, I think also familiarity is very mm. important when you're writing because you want to write about things that people uh, have either experienced or they know enough about to be able to get wrapped up into the, the storyline. And if you have something that's even if they didn't grow up hunting, but you write it in a way where like, oh, I've been out in the woods or I you know, have seen birds fly in or you know, I've, I've had a crow, you know, squawk and scare me or what, whatever it is. It, if you have a little bit of familiarity, then that helps him get lost into the storyline quicker. No, that's good. That's good. You know, um, you know, setting is vital to every story and different storytellers approach things a little differently. But, um, but I do believe that until we see a story, somehow picture it, it's hard for us to be really present in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's why really concentrating on each word. I know that can get a little bogged down for writers and stuff, but it is so essential because you are they're basically somebody's going to be sitting in front of this book and they're going to be reading it. And the more descriptive you can be, the better, because you want to help their mind be able to expand open and, and know exactly what's going on. Now, most storytellers and comedians that I've spoken to um, have at least one, oh man, did that bomb story. If I say that to you, do any events or um, or programs come come to mind? Oh, I, are you talking about just bombing on stage? Yeah. How long's the podcast? Okay. <laughs> I've got to get my kids later on uh, this afternoon. Pick them up, yeah. Yeah, no, I've had so many bomb moments uh, where you you try out a bit, and especially now because I've been doing this over twenty years, so uh, I have so much material that if if something is kind of not working or something, I can always change, and I just have a wealth of material that I can just pull up and you know switch around and stuff. But every once in a while, when you try something new, 
So now it's bad because the crowd is laughing so much that whenever you try something new that doesn't work, it's, it goes from a room just full of booming laughs to, <laughs> and then it's just, it's just <laughs> dead quiet. And yeah. then you're like, oh, wait a minute. And now you, you know, you're back to year one of doing stand up and you're flop sweating and you're like, okay, wh- wh- where do I take them from here and stuff? Yeah, there's just been some bad uh, moments and I've had heckling moments where. Oh, no, really? Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I did a, a big youth event and uh, it was outdoors, but in a tent, a covered tent. And it was mm-hmm. in August and they didn't have chairs. So everybody's sitting on the floor and. Uh, all the kids are, you know, they're fidgeting. This was before cell phones. So they had a hard time, you know, uh, ignoring me, but also finding some other place to put their attention. And so I'm up there and I'm, you know, and the show's actually going pretty well, but there was a, a girl down front that would not quit talking. And I ignored her for a while. Cause it's about 800 kids. Yeah. So, you know, I ignored her for a little bit, but she would not quit shouting stuff out. And so finally I just turned to her and gave her a little bit of attention and I wasn't mean, uh-huh. But I did, I can't even remember what I said, but I said something that was kind of like a, a little quick put down just to let her know, like, hey, let me do my show. You're you're totally wrecking this. And I later found out that she was bipolar, which her youth leader was sitting right next to her. So I don't know why he didn't jump in mm-hmm. and try to say something. But as soon as I said that, she started crying and she jumped up oh, and no. he was like, you are the meanest person in the world. And what I even said, wasn't that mean? Because again, I'm, you know, I'm a, I'm a Christian. So I I try not to make people feel bad. I don't really have put down humor toward other people and all that. But I did say something that was a little bit like, you know, you need to quit talking, you know? Um, And so this is why it's one of the worst because I've had people yell at me before, but then everybody was sitting on the ground. And so the only exit was through the back of the tent. So she started trying to walk through everybody. And oh, no. as she was doing it, she would turn to me and go, you're the worst person up. Excuse me. Can I just step over here? You're the <laughs> worst person up. It took her about four minutes to, to get out of the tent. And the whole time she's just screaming at me and then asking people to move their bag. And it was just, oh, it was just the worst, like unbelievably bad. It made me think of, um, uh, you know, a time that I told stories once and, and um, I was, the, uh, there was this key person who started walking back and forth right in front, front of the stage. And it's uh, very similar to what happened with you. Like for a while, I just ignore him. He's just walking back and forth. And, and so finally I said, oh, don't worry, you're not disturbing us. Sort of sarcastically or something. Well, then come to find out he has um, autism, I guess. And like he was just that was everyone there was used to that. And so that was just like quiet. They all thought I was making fun of him. I was like, come on, man, you're killing me here. So the way I I, I totally feel for you, because the way I got started was uh, I wasn't pursuing comedy. I actually did a stand up competition my junior year in college, and I only did it for the prize money. And that was it. Like I just people all, all through my life told me I was funny. And so I, they had this competition in my school and I entered it just to get the money. And then I won, not even because I was good, but everybody else was just terrible. <laughs> and so uh, two years later, this guy who saw me do that stand up competition was now road managing a singer. Hmm. And uh, they had a meeting right before the tour and they said it'd be fun to have a comedian get up and kind of keep the crowd entertained in between the music acts. And so he 
had just saw me do the stand-up competition and so called me out of the blue. Uh, this Talk about dating yourself. Uh, he actually paged me. And I, uh, yeah, I had a pager because, you know, I made that kind of money. And uh, I pulled over at a Cracker Barrel payphone and the guy explained it. He was like, do you want to go on tour with us? And so I, it was a weird opportunity. And I thought, yeah, I'll go and I'll travel. I really thought I'd go out and, you know, get to see a couple of the states and then they would realize I'm not a comedian and send me home. Uh, but I thought, you know, it's an opportunity. So I flew to Nashville, got off a plane, got on a tour bus, which is not how you get into comedy, by the way. So if people are listening, I, I do all clean comedy. So I have a lot of families come to my shows and I'll have kids come up and be like, hey, how do I be, become a comedian? I'm like, uh, do a stand up competition your junior year in college and wait for somebody to call you. Duh. You know, which is not <laughs> the way to get into it. But yeah. anyway, so I went out on this tour and, you know, I had about five minutes of material and I was in between each acts and stuff. And so I started doing this uh, product pitch talking about their merchandise and I'd put all the shirts mm. on and I had jokes about it. One of the bands was called anointed. So they had a shirt with a big a on it. So I would take the shirts off one by one and I'd written jokes. And so like my joke for that one was like, some of you college kids, it's your only chance to get an a, you know, stuff like that. Yeah. Um, and so uh, I would do the, the product pitch uh, thing. And then I uh, would talk about our sponsorship uh, for the tour. And the manager wanted me to start really pitching the hats. And so I wrote a couple of jokes about why you should wear a hat. And I was in the, and so we were one night and there was a, a guy down and he was bald. And so I started, uh, you know, saying this guy needs a hat. And I was doing all these jokes and stuff and he was loving it. He was laughing so hard. And he even stood up and was like pointing to his head. Yeah. So I just kept ad-libbing, but I noticed the entire crowd around him went dead cold. Like just oh, no. we're like looking at me like daggers. And I was, and of course I'm not a comedian. And so I didn't, you know, grow up in clubs or learn anything, but I just, I noticed it, but I didn't know what was going on. And so I just abandoned everything and just said, all right, well, let me tell you guys uh, really quick about our sponsor and uh, we'll go to intermission. And I was like sweating. Cause I was <laughs> the, the crowd around him just hated me for some reason. And I said, our sponsor is Special Olympics, and uh, we have some of our Olympians uh, here tonight. Can they stand up? And it was that guy. And that, that guy who I was talking about, who thought what I was saying was really funny, but everybody around them knew him and thought I was, like, picking on him oh. uh, for, you know, being. Uh, and I just was like, oh, my goodness. And I could not get the crowd back. The, the oh rest of the night, when I walked out, they just would stare at me like, you mean, evil person. And I was like, dude, I didn't know. I didn't know. Things have become crazy, too, lately over the last five or ten years with, um, you know, people, I don't know, canceling or banning or whatever. Or Canadians slapping. Don't, yeah, yeah. I, slapping. <laughs> I know. It's just like, um, you know, a lot of comedians won't perform at certain venues anymore just because they're like, look, I, I don't want to go through that. I'm. Yeah, I don't want people to be triggered or offended. Or how, what do you make of all this? Well, the biggest thing is, so the slap was was huge, and you know, <laughs> you know, it's bad when Kanye West says to Will, like, "Hey, that's a little bit too crazy." Uh, you know, it just was, it was so out of the blue and ridiculous. But what it did was, then it was such a big news article that our our big fear as comedians now is that. 
people are going to do that because everybody wants to be famous. Everybody wants mm. to have a viral video, a TikTok video. And, and so like the guy who attacked Chappelle, yeah. <clears throat> sorry, um, the guy who attacked Chappelle, you know, that even further the narrative of, oh, you can get your name in print. Mm. You can get videos made about you. And so our biggest fear is that people will, will come up and attack us, not because they have anything really against us, but because that's a quick jump to some fame. And, you know, now that everybody has their own social profile and trying to get likes and follows and mm -hmm. all that kind of stuff, that that's just going to be another little, you know, uh, carrot in front of them. Like, oh, I can get here quicker if I get, you know, a little bit of news and stuff. It, it's just, it's, it's a crazy time to be in this business. So what is the easiest audience to perform for and what is the toughest? Um, so let's start with, uh, uh, it's not geometry. I went to public school, <laughs> geography, <laughs> geography. Let's, let's, tell you, let's, let's start with geography. Um, so Northern states are very reserved. They're, hmm. uh, they're harder to make laugh, but they're still great crowds, but, uh, you know, I, I was in Connecticut a couple of weeks ago and, you know, so they would laugh quick and it, it was almost like, ha ha. Okay. What else you got? You know, like it, and, and where Southern people, they'll start laughing and they'll miss, you know, three more jokes that you have right behind that one because they're still laughing so long. And so, uh, that's, that's kind of a, a interesting demographic of Northern, uh, crowds. They don't laugh as loud or as hard. They still enjoy the show, yeah. but it's just like Southern people just tend to laugh a lot longer and hmm. end up, you know, coughing and, uh, then they'll turn and retell it or explain it. You know, if I'm in Alabama, <laughs> they'll, you know, explain the joke to somebody. So, uh, that's different. Uh, as far as the makeup of people, um, I don't know. I got a lot of friends that won't do youth groups cause they're just mm. terrified of high school kids. Mm. I love, you know, seeing families come in and mm -hmm. seeing high school kids uh, come in because, you know, the, and the fact that they can sit and laugh with their parents and not worry yeah. about it, you know, being awkward or, you know, something that's over the line that they shouldn't really be laughing at and stuff. And so I really like, uh, just families coming to my shows. Yeah. Uh, there have been some tough ones D during the quarantine, you know, all my shows canceled. Yeah. And, uh, again, this is going to sound like I'm bragging, but I, uh, became a four-star reviewed Uber Eats driver. Um, <laughs> so yeah, the times were good. Um, but I, I, I would try to do zoom shows, but, mm -hmm. uh, my neighbor's Wi-Fi was not good. Um, <laughs> so I, I took any show that I could and, uh, one of the shows that I was able to do in 2020 was, uh, I got booked. It was only about 15 minutes from the house. It was, uh, it was supposed to be at a nursing home and I showed up and it wasn't a nursing home. It was, uh, for Alzheimer's patients. And my great grandmother had that. And I actually moved in and lived with them for a while mm. uh, to kind of help them out. So I actually have a, a, a huge heart for that. Yeah. So I, and it was supposed to be for the staff. So I was like, Oh, this would be great. And so, uh, I show up. Well, what I found out was the lady who booked me uh, got COVID that week. And so she wasn't there. So the staff thought that they wouldn't even have a meeting. They thought they would have that hour off. So oh, when I showed oh. up, they were like, oh, what? We have to listen to you. And I was like, OK. And so they take me into this big, great room. Now, because of the patients, uh, they couldn't leave the patients alone. So the patients all just wandered around the room. Oh and no! The staff, it was only eight people, you know, and I'm used to, you know, regular concerts, you know, 500,000 seat 
places. They they had eight people. They had to sit at individual tables because of COVID. I had to wear my mask. There was no <laughs> there was no microphone. So I'm standing in the middle of the room trying to do my show with a mask on. There, the eight people are just you know playing on their phones. And the um, and like I said, the patients were just walking around and everything. And at one point, I noticed two of the staff members looked up at me and kind of had a, a weird look on their face. And so I turned and looked over my left shoulder and one of the patients was standing right behind me because I was in her path that she would wander. And she almost had her chin on my shoulder. And it honestly scared me where I jumped over. I was like, ah, and she just looked at me and just kept walking. And I, at that moment, I was like, this is the strangest business to be in. And the best, <laughs> the best part was at the end of the, you know, as I was winding down my time, I said, okay, guys, I have one more story for you. And this lady in a wheelchair who, who had just been wheeling around uh, <laughs> in the room, she just looked up and she goes, good, because I'm tired of this. Oh. It was it was the best heckle because it was from the heart. Like she didn't know what was going on. Uh-huh. And I just lo- I looked at her and I was like, yes, uh, I think I'm tired of this. Everybody's tired of this. So let me just finish this and go home. And so, yeah, there's, you just never know what situation you're going to be put in. I think the best comedians that I've heard kind of have, uh, they've done a great job of preparation, but they also respond really well to the listeners, to the audience. Um, How important is the audience's response to you when you're doing your act? And then um, do you feed off from that as you, as you move forward? Yeah, absolutely. Because, you know, when people are coming to my shows, like, I basically, again, to coin a writer phrase, I'm I'm going to take them on a, an adventure for an hour or plus, whatever. And I'm, I'm going to say, all right, I'm going to start telling you stories and I'm going to make you laugh and we're, we're going to go on an adventure together. Well, if you are one of those comedians that you have your set routine and you get up and you just do it, it's a canned, you know, mm-hmm. written out jokes and stuff. Uh, if that's not going well, you're really cheating yourself mm. and the audience uh, out of what we all came together to do. And so it is so important to read the audience and, you know, I'll be doing, I, I did one in Dallas, uh, Sunday night and I was doing this new bit, uh, about Walmart and my wife and I in Walmart. And I realized that they were laughing harder at the uh, family part of it about me, uh, you know, being married and, and that kind of stuff. So I just abandoned the Walmart story and just started telling stories about my kids and sorry. And it was a great night. But it, it wasn't anything I'd planned to do, but I read the audience and they were all families and they were all uh, there. Uh, they had several graduating seniors. And so I talked about me in high school. And so I, I just read the crowd. So I, I think it's absolutely essential not to come up. It is great to be prepared and come up yeah. with your set. But, man, just be ready to improvise and, you know, and change it up. And, you know, let's just all try to have a great night. Yeah. So let's say someone's listening. They're like, oh, he's a comedian. He's been doing this for 20 years. Like, I just want to tell a joke or I want to be a little funnier uh, for my kids or maybe a teacher's listening. And like, I want to add some humor to whenever I speak to my students. Do you have any like thoughts as suggestions for, you know, there's nothing less funny than someone trying to be funny. And so that can be brutal, you know, so, uh, but to, to do it from the heart and to make, you know, you just add a light touch to the stories we tell. 
Yeah, because comedy, if you can make them laugh, you basically give them a, a gift. And so what I found is a lot of people, if you can give them that gift, uh, they will lower their walls and they'll actually listen to what you have to say. So comedy is so important in communication. That's why a lot of preachers will tell you know, preacher jokes or have some joke to illustrate a point and stuff. And a lot of speakers, even if they're not true like comedians or humorists, they try to have a little bit of levity in there. Uh, just because it keeps people's attention and mm -hmm. it's almost like a it's almost like a little reward for sitting through what you're trying to convey <laughs> to them. Um, so my my suggestion, really, I my suggestion is don't try to be funny. So I have job security, <laughs> but um, my suggestion is to watch other funny people, you mm -hmm. know, study them. That's that's why a lot of people ask me, you know, how I cultivate a comedy. My dad is hilarious, and I watched him from early on. Whenever he was a, um, whenever I was a kid, uh, my dad was always saying stuff that made people laugh, and so I would, I would study that and and figure out like, okay, how did he lead them into a topic about grocery shopping when the you know nobody in the room was talking about that, but he thought of something funny, and you know, I just kind of watched. So the more you watch and and really break apart like how did what is the setup and what is the punchline and mm. you know how did they deliver it and even the timing and the pausing on certain words and stuff it it can get a bit uh in in the weeds so to speak but yeah. uh it once you figure it out the reward is is amazing now when you start working on new material let's say do, do you you mentioned a couple times stories that you tell um so um like you said, you'll tell family stories, things like that. What is it that about an event for you that grabs that and you say, that's a story that I need to tell, that I need to tap into, retell somehow like that? Is there a pivotal moment or is it just something outlandish or exaggerated happens? Yeah, that's a great story. So all my stories, especially with the Average Boy series, you know, hmm. I'm, I'm writing Average Boy is a, a middle school kid and it's written for middle schoolers. Uh, or their families and, and the kids to uh, either listen to the Average Boy podcast or, you know, read the books, or I write monthly for uh, Clubhouse Magazine, which is a middle school magazine through Focus on the Family. And so every time I sit down to write anything for Average Boy, I think of a, a story that either happened to me or my kids. Mm. And if there's one thing that's funny in the story, and usually it's something at the end, usually whatever mm. adventure he's on, it has something funny that happens at the end. And so if I have that, that serves as the anchor hmm. for the entire story. Uh, there's one about to come out that I just wrote in, uh, for Clubhouse. And it was about average boy being late on his first day to school. And it, it really was based on a story that happened to me when I was a kid. And I had to run through the creek and uh, <laughs> end up running from this bull to be able to make it to school hmm. on time. And so uh, I ended, I had this one ending joke and then I thought, okay, what's funny from the time average boy leaves his house to the time he gets to the school. And then I start incorporating all these other, you know, situations and stuff. And I, I just kind of build the story, but I build it around that one joke that I know is funny. So if, if a story doesn't have at least one anchor uh, of laugh line in it, then I, I tend to just steer away from it and try to come up with something else. Now, you mentioned your average boy uh, books. Now, I know that you have a new one, Average Boys Above Average Year, that is now available. So who, let's say parents are listening and like, okay, who's this book for? Who's Average Boy and where can I get it? Or do I order it online? Tell us a little bit about this new, this new book of yours. 
Yeah, so it's the third in the series. It uh, is a fiction book. It is uh, Average Boy's entire year of going to a school. Uh, he's going to a new school. And so it is just a year long of funny adventures and situations that he ends up uh, in. And uh, there's uh, several characters uh, that are from the other books and stuff that uh, are going to school with him as well. And uh, it's it's just a, a whole fun uh, year of Average Boy and all the things that happened to him. How old is average boy? I mean, I know he's average, but beyond that, how old actually is he? Yeah, we we peg him about 12 years old. Um, the books are written from, uh, I actually got my degree in elementary ed. I was going to be a teacher. Plus, I thought the college classes I had to take would be easier because I already knew most of the alphabet. And um, so I was I was going to be an elementary teacher. So I wrote, I wrote the books to be between ages uh, 7 to 14. Hmm. So that's really that that kind of demographic age wise for for kids to read. And uh, but I've had when when the first uh, average boy book came out is uh, they're called Devotions for Super Average Kids. And uh, I was at a, I was performing at a festival and a 72 year old uh, lady came to my merch table and we got to talking and she bought it for she had one grandson and she bought it and she was all excited and. Um, so the next day, it was a three-day festival. She came back and bought another one. And I said, well, when we talked yesterday, you uh, you only had one grandson. Like, uh, how, how fast are they moving? <laughs> and she started laughing. And she was like, I got back to my hotel room and I started reading it. And I got so into the stories that there's uh, questions at the end of each chapter that kids can fill out on the mm. first two books. And she said, I got so into it, I started filling out the questions without even thinking about it. And she's like, so I have my copy, so I have to get a copy for my grandson. Oh, so, that's good. Yeah. So now I tell people I wrote it for ages like seven to 72. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so pretty much anybody that likes to laugh. But yeah, kids seem to really, you know, it's so hard to get kids to actually sit down and read a book when they've got an iPad and a TV and computer, you know, all around them and stuff. But uh, kids seem to gravitate toward the comedy yeah, the books. And so they, uh, you know, kids are picking them up. I'm, I'm really, uh, you know, surprised and, and happy about it. That's fantastic. You know, what, I think you mentioned something offhandedly earlier that I thought is a little bit profound, but basically you said to help someone laugh or to make someone laugh is a gift. And I know I was at this one conference and there was a comedian performing and uh, everyone laughed and enjoyed it. And then the speaker got up like he's pretty famous speaker. I won't mention his name, but he got up and he goes, I'm not here to entertain you. I'm here to speak from my heart. And I was so, so angry. I was like, as if the comedian wasn't speaking from his heart, as if what he was doing is less valuable to us. Then what you're about to say, I was just like, oh, you got to be killing me. You get, you yeah, got to be kidding yeah. me. So, yeah. you, you know what he was saying? He really was saying, uh, I got nothing. I'm not <laughs> funny. And you guys seem to really enjoy comedy. And I'm just setting the the bar, you know, now to where you guys don't expect me to be funny. He did it in a mean way. It's terrible to discredit somebody else's yeah, talents. Yeah, yeah. Because we all have different talents and stuff. Yeah. And so to discredit uh, you know, somebody that can make people laugh uh, b- based on your own insecurity. But I don't, you know, I don't know Tony Robbins. I'm just assuming. No, that's, <laughs> no I'm just kidding. <laughs> there, there, there goes my, there goes my converse. Uh, sponsorship. Oh, yeah. um, no, but uh, you know, if, if you're a speaker, just get up and do what you are good at. Don't, mm-hmm. you know, discredit somebody else. But I, I think laughter is just, 
especially nowadays. I have so many people coming to my shows that I keep hearing this over and over after the shows of like, I haven't laughed like that in two years Mm. because there's so much going on. And Laughter is truly a gift. It, it mm. you know, releases endorphins and it, it makes people feel better about themselves. So if I can, if I can supply that for, you know, an hour yeah. uh, to people, it, it really is a gift. And there are people that are really good at, at doing that. I, I, I'm not like bragging on myself. I'm just saying there are people out there that are truly uh, creating a, a healing aspect for people's lives that are going through a lot of stuff. And yeah, I think, I think comedy is very important. Yeah. And, you know, life is hard and then not just the last two years, but I mean, life is, has a lot of tragedy and grief. And, you know, if you look at it, it's easy to find things to be sad about. You watch the news any night, you scroll through the news feed and you're like, okay, there's another hundred things that I can be depressed about. Yeah. I read, I read in a a medical journal uh, one time that laughter is 10 times more powerful than morphine than like our strongest drug. And, um, you know, and again, I'm not against morphine, you know, if I, <laughs> if I break my leg in half, I don't want my doctor standing over me going, knock, knock, you know, say who's there, you know, that kind of thing. But like the fact that even doctors realize like laughter is important to the body. Mm. And so if you go a long time without that, yeah, you, it just, and there's so much depression and stuff going on yeah. now, you know, the quarantine didn't help. And, and all that kind of stuff. And if you could just laugh and be reminded that there's still some joy to be found in this mm-hmm. world, man, that's just, you know, that helps you get to the next day. Yeah, I totally agree with you. And, and uh, you know, over the years I've written once, like I write, I've, I write serial killer novels and I've write, written books on how to tell Bible stories to preschool children. So, you know, my wife says it's kind of like inviting Stephen King over to do a puppet show for your kindergarten class. And it's just like, <laughs> but it's all up there. And, you know, there was a time where I was like, okay, I want to be the literary guy, the writer. I want to live in my literary world. And so, but I've always loved kids, right? I've always loved telling stories to kids and making them laugh. And then one day I was telling some stories and these kids are just laughing like crazy. And I was like, that is a gift to be able to give to someone laughter. And it kind of knocked me down from my little high tower and say, you know what? Hey, this is just as valid, just as valuable as any literary novel that I might ever write. Yeah. One of my best friends, uh, he's a comedian and he had kind of a realization because when he first started, it was all about getting laughs. I got to get all the laughs I can. Mm. I got to get them. And then he realized like, no, I'm giving laughs. It's not about me getting them. It's about me giving them. And that really kind of changed his mindset of I am the people are that are walking through the door and sitting down. They're about to be given something. Hmm. And so that kind of changed his whole mindset of, you know, his writing style and everything. And that, that's really what it is, is you with your stories or with your comedy or whatever, mm-hmm. you're giving somebody something extra that they didn't have before they met you. No, that's awesome. Uh, that's great. Um, tell me a little bit about your podcast, the um, the Average Boy Podcast. Who listens to your show? Is it kids mostly, or is it um, uh, adults? It's actually family. So, oh yeah, uh, nice. Yeah, the official Average Boy Podcast. Uh, it is. Uh, we try to keep it between twenty and twenty five minutes long, and with the idea of it's great whenever you get your kids in the car and you're headed to school or you're headed to church or you're headed to the grocery store. It's it's short enough that you get all this little comedy in a short um, amount of time that kids can listen to while they're in the car and not you know be loud and distracting and and all that. Um, 
it's average boy it's it's basically uh just average boy and then the adult is uh my editor uh, jesse floria uh who helped you know he, he he helps with all the spelling in fact my <laughs> books the the three books that i've had to write uh i've had an earlier deadline than most authors and i finally asked him about it and he was like oh there's a little more spelling uh work that i have to do <laughs> than i must but uh so he's he's the adult on the on the podcast and uh, I am the voice of average boy, and which is funny because the first time we sat down to record one, uh, you know, I, I'm supposed to be a 12 year old boy. And I make jokes in my show about my voice being, you know, kind of high anyway. But I got in and I tried to make it even more uh, high, more kid like. And the producer was like, uh, Bob, no, uh, we want your regular voice. And I was like, yeah, but he's supposed to be a little kid. And he was like, yeah, <laughs> go, go ahead. <laughs> okay all right i get i get what we're doing here but uh yeah so it's just basically average boy talking to jesse and there's a lot of running jokes if you listen to you know all the podcasts there's a lot of callbacks and stuff like that mm -hmm. but it's basically each podcast is an adventure uh it's something funny that has happened to him that week but also uh, we try to incorporate things that kids are dealing with at mm. the time about uh, picking their right friends or, mm. you know, uh, succumbing to peer pressure or, you know, having an opportunity to do the right thing or not do the right thing. Uh, the importance of guarding your eyes and your heart. And so, so it's a funny story, but usually there's uh, some kind of conflict in there that average boys dealing with. And then he has the resolution to the story. And then we kind of talk about why it, it was important uh, that he did that. And so it's, it's, it's mainly a comedy podcast, you know, for families, but there's also a lot of learning involved and it also elicits a lot of conversation. So again, I love having families come to my comedy show and say that they listen to the podcast. And then the dad will pull me aside and say, man, my kid is struggling. You know, he's, uh, a victim of bullying and you know average boy dealt with bullying and you know my kid was like well if average boy can handle it you know i can and wow. that kind of thing so we try to just we try to give a lot of laughs and uh, some hope you know to kids to be able to make it through the world man that's fantastic so yeah if you're listening and you have kids that age for sure check it out and um and also check out the books the average boy books there's three of them now and um the last one is all fictional adventures uh, Average boys above average year. And, and so check those out and listen to the podcast. And then, you know, um, Bob, whenever you're traveling, is there a good place where people can uh, find out when you're going to be, be uh, performing in their area or doing a show? Yeah, all my uh, show dates are on my website, bobsmiley.com, which I think is your homepage, right? <laughs> Hello? Hello? Uh, no, yeah, uh, bobsmiley.com has all that, and, but I'm on uh, Instagram and Facebook, and I'm, you know, uh, mainly I, I just do funny videos or, you know, any of the one-liner jokes or stuff I just throw out there. Uh, sometimes I have jokes that don't really fit in my act. Uh, the other day I was, we were watching um, a Marvel movie, and I thought, how is the guy who played Doctor Strange not made a sleep-medicated adhesive pad? And I said that out loud and my kids were like, what do you mean? And I was like, I, I would totally buy a Benedict slumber patch. And slumber patch. <laughs> so that, that I think is a really good joke, but that doesn't yeah. fit in my act. And so I'll just post <laughs> that online. So my social media is, is a lot, mostly comedy, but uh, at least once a week, I'll put up what you know shows I'm doing, what city or state that I'm going to. So I'm on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. If uh, the listeners are sinners, I'm on TikTok. <laughs> so, so yeah i'm on i'm on all those social medias as well well that's awesome so yeah check it out and um i hope to um 
catch you sometime live in one of your shows. I'll really look forward to that. So, Bob, any closing words of advice just to encourage people to embrace humor in their lives and their stories with their with their kids and families? Uh, just that what I said before, I really do believe that God gave us laughter as you know it's healing it's uh and it's something that brings people together you know i i've had family members come into my shows and uh, a dad will tell me man i am i am just button heads with my teenage mm. son and we can't agree on anything but we can sit and laugh at, at you know your dvds or we can sit mm. and laugh and watch you on uh, youtube and stuff and that that really is is kind of brought us together uh so i just think laughter is a really important part of our life and so you know, I would encourage the listeners to kind of pause and, and look at your life for a second and be like, man, when is the last time I laughed? Or am I am, am I doing things with my family that we can enjoy and, and laugh together? Because it is very powerful. Absolutely. So, well, um, Bob, thanks so much for being on the show today, for sharing your insights and your humor and your uh, perspective on stories and storytelling. Yeah, it's my pleasure, man. Um, so do everyone who's listening, do check his... Um, his, both his podcast out, his books out, his comedy shows. Uh, I'd also like to thank everyone who's listening uh, for um, for tuning in. For more info about our guests and to check out our other interviews, you can search for us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or wherever you listen to your podcasts, or click to thestoryblender.com. Don't forget to like us and subscribe to receive our weekly podcasts. Tell your story as well, my friends, and always remember... Oh, this is where I get to do the ending part, right? <laughs> I'm a huge fan. I, I got to watch this. I like, yeah. So give me the line again. I'm ready. Oh, you're good. Uh, so tell your stories well, my friends, and always remember. The art of the story is all in the blend. Take Nailed care, it. <laughs> Take care, everyone, and we'll see you next time.